Come on, the worship team did so well this morning. Come on, thank you, Jesus. It was like really cool. Guys, we are in the last week of our Serve series. I'm just seeing my friends at front here, all of you guys. It's so good to see you all again. It feels like I've come home. It's awesome. And everybody online, really cool. Can we just welcome everybody online that's with us this morning? Um, so we're in the last week of our Serve series, which is really cool because it's just looking back on the month. Uh, it's just, we just saw how God worked in the holiday club. We had two holiday clubs, one at Marcos, one here, which was phenomenal. We then went into a Zambia mission trip, which they spoke about, which is so phenomenal. We saw God move in that. When you are of usual availability, God can always use your ability to reach other people for His glory. And then we also saw yesterday, which is very close to my heart, yesterday we saw 400 of our church, 400 people from our church go out into our communities yesterday. Uh, they, they, whether they were cleaning or packing love packs for everyone, they just went out and served beyond the borders of the church. And it was just phenomenal to see. And we just, we thank you guys for that. We encourage you to keep doing it because it's something that Jesus would encourage us to keep doing. But we're going to be reading... Um, out of the book of Matthew this morning from chapters 20. So if you want to make your way there, we'll be reading from chapter verses 17. And so um, the title of this morning's message is Demonstration of Greatness. Um, I think if you ever want to see a healthy church, you have to have a church that's prepared to demonstrate what the Word of God says in our, in our communities. It's not just, uh, we don't just want to say the things that Jesus said, we want to do the things that Jesus did. And so we want to be a church that's activated, engaged, not just attractional. And so uh, if you feel that church is an event, I encourage you, why don't you get out and start serving? It'll break that on your life and it'll start to release something where you can see God do immeasurably more. Um, so if you want to read with me this morning, uh, we're going to be reading a phenomenal story. Um, most of you may have heard this story before. For some of you that haven't, we, it'll be the first time for you, which it is still an amazing story. Uh, the story is about a mother that goes to Jesus and asks for a favor. But almost the timing of this favor was not really perfect. So read with me from verse 17. It says, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the son of man will be delivered from the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will, be condemned, they will condemn him, he's speaking about himself, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised again. This is the third time Jesus is now starting to speak to the disciples. Jesus has a mission. He set his focus and he sights on Jerusalem. He knows that the task is at hand. He needs to become the savior of the world in order for him to redeem us from a sinful world. This is the task that is at hand. Now this is where the timing comes in that's a bit odd, okay? It says from verse 20, then the mother of Zebedee's sons which most of you would know, that's James and John, if you, but the, the Zebedee's mother came to Jesus with this, uh, and knelt down asking him for a favor. I mean, Jesus just told him, I'm about to be crucified, mocked, killed. Can I have a favor? <laughs> I mean, like timing is just not like ideal here. But I love Jesus' response. And this is what a lesson to us as Christians should be our response. It didn't matter what he had at hand. He was prepared to stop and ask, what is it? Too many times we get so busy in our lifestyles that we actually forget to serve people in the moment when it's just in front of us. He asked, what is it you want? And she said, grant me that one of my sons over here 
or the, uh, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your kingdom. It's quite a weird thing to ask just after he's told you he's about to be crucified. Um, verse 22 says, you do not know what you ask, Jesus said to her. Can you drink from the cup? Please note that he says, it says, Jesus said to them, Jesus is now, they have sent their mother. <laughs> How many of you send your mother to go and do something for you? Eh? They, they sent their mother to go and do this. And Jesus now looks, he looks at the boys because he's knowing you're sending your mother, but I'm speaking to you. So it says that he looks at James and John and it says to them, can you drink the, 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 from the cup that I'm about to drink? And he talks about the suffering. And they said, we can. And Jesus said um, to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, uh, but to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not for me to grant. There's a place belongs to those whom they have been prepared for by my father. Jesus already goes back to the authority of God. Verse 24 says, when the 10 other disciples had heard about this, they were a little bit upset because they're going like, why didn't we think of sending our mother to Jesus? Because maybe that would have helped. Um, but it says, uh, when the 10 had heard about this, they were indignant and the two, at the two brothers. Jesus then called them together and said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their higher officials and exercise authority over them. He's saying, guys, you're becoming title focused. You're actually becoming title focused now. Let's get a grip. Not so with you. I love the way he says it. Don't become title focused. It's not going to be like that with you. You're not going to be titled. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must become your. It's funny how Jesus is always counter cultural. Huh? Like if you want to be first, you've got to be last. It's always about being humble. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus, as the Son of God, did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. I love that scripture. We're going to unpack it in a moment, but just before we do, I want to ask you a question, or maybe it's just a statement. Never, ever in the English dictionary has there ever been a word that has caused more debate than the word greatness. Think about it for a moment. I'll prove it to you. How many of you all black, uh, all black fans in the house here this morning? Any All Black fans? Come on, the brave ones. Okay. How many Springbok fans in the house here this morning? Okay. If I had to put the two of you together and ask you who has developed the best rugby players in the world, you guys will probably, the greatest rugby players in the world, you guys will probably debate until the sun goes down. Any Liverpool fans in the house here this morning? Any Man United fans? Yes. Hey, listen, if I put you together and said, who's the best football coach that has ever lived? You guys will probably have a massive debate on that too. Me and my son are having a debate at the moment. There are literally two soccer players that are in the, in the making for the best football players in the world of our time. I'm not talking about Pele and all those guys, uh, Maradona. I'm talking about of our time. And there are really only two at the moment that are in the running of who is the greatest football player. Now, I'm going to ask you to share that with me this morning. So maybe on the count of three, you can scream out who you think it is. Okay. Who you think, don't speak to the person next to you, who you think is the greatest soccer player of our time. Is one, two, three. 
It is either Ronaldo or Messi, but the greatest will always cause an argument. There will always be a debate on what you think is great and what somebody else thinks great. Um, if I said to you, which varsity in Cape Town is the best? If you went to Stellenbosch, you will argue that UCT has nothing on Marty's and it would be the other way around. Why? Why, Why do we focus so much on greatness? It's because greatness is something we aspire to. Greatness is something we care about. We want greatness to describe our performance. We'd love greatness to describe our work and our quality of our, we want greatness to describe our families, our schools and our churches. But what's so interesting is what our perception of greatness is and what Jesus' perception of greatness is are two different things according to the scripture. And so on this particular scripture, I've got five points that I just want to talk about, things that jumped out at me and I'd love to share them with you this morning. Um, And just five points. And if you want to take notes, you can write down those headings. Um, But I want to talk a little bit. It seems that the disciples had a few lessons to learn about what greatness is. And maybe we can learn a few lessons just as Jesus taught the disciples then. He's busy teaching us today through his word that is true. And so the first point that I want to get to is we can either be God-centered or self-centered. It's a choice. I know that might sting a little bit uh, in saying that, um, but I'll tell you why. Is In the story, we saw that Jesus was, uh, was near to the cross and he was approaching the cross, but the mother of James and John come to him. Her name was Salome. So just to give you a little bit of context about the story so that you understand, it wasn't like they had randomly said, hey, I'm about to die. Hey, can I have a toffee? It wasn't like an awkward, that the, in, if you go one chapter before, Jesus actually spoke to the disciples in chapter 19, verse 28, about the, the, that his time, a new time will come where he'll be enthroned and those who served with him, the 12 disciples will all receive a throne, Okay. But James and John didn't want to just have a throne. They wanted to have the throne closest to Jesus. They wanted to. So this is why in context, they must have been conkling. I think it's an Afrikaans word. Conjuring, uh, like uh, 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 contemplating about this after Jesus had said it. Because they were going, hmm, it's cool to be 12, but it'd be better to be first (laughs) or second. And so this is why they have come. And so they've sent their mother, Salome. You know, the one time I wanted to get discount on shocks on my car. So I did what every good husband does. You send your wife because she has a better chance of giving a discount. I was like, those shocks are so expensive. Babe, I reckon if you go, you're probably got a better chance of getting it. How many of you have ever sent somebody instead of you to actually get something? Come on, shame the devil. Tell the truth here this morning. But Salome was sent. But here's the thing about Salome. Something you also need to know is that a lot of people believe that there's a very good chance that Salome was Mary the mother of Jesus' sister. Okay, because at the cross, they make announcement that Salome was there at the cross with Mary and she was the sons, uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So there's a good chance that John and James were first cousins to Jesus. You see, what she was saying is, Jesus, you know, you've got all these disciples that are following you. Just remember that blood is thicker than water. <laughs> She's having one of those conversations. So it's important to understand the context of what's going on here. She was thinking that maybe because they were bloodline that there would be a prestige more of the authority. But it wasn't what she was asking. It's the motive of what she was asking. Okay. So Mark's account didn't even record Salome in it. It says Jesus just spoke directly to James and John. And I think the reason Mark didn't record it is because Jesus actually realized who was asking the question. 
It was actually them. And he was actually wanting to deal with the motives behind the question. And so greatness to these brothers, if you ask them what was greatness, I think in their motives, it probably meant having power and authority. You see, in the times, if you sat on the left or the right-hand side of a king in this era, it meant that you had a level of authority that was different to anybody else. And so what they were kind of asking for is, can we have more authority? Their motive was about, can I be a little bit higher? Can I be first or second? That is what their motives were doing. So Salome, James, and John, didn't have, they didn't have a request problem. Because I think Jesus wants us to ask him to be close to him. It wasn't what they were asking. It wasn't the request that they were asking. They had a worldview problem. I think a lot of us have a worldview problem too. It's our understanding of what greatness really is. And sometimes we don't have prayer problems when we're requesting things from God. We actually got a worldview problem towards our prayers. We're asking God for things that's not actually according to his will. It's just according to yours. And so your quest to God can say a lot about where you are centered with God. Okay, so let me get the first diagram up quickly because I don't have a lot of time. Okay, so what this is, I just want to give you an idea. If you looked at a worldly view of, of how your world approaches things, okay? It start, the arrow will always start from the outside in. It's almost about how much knowledge I can gain, how much I can achieve, how much it's about what you put into your life, right? So the arrow is going inward, but it says, it always focuses, so you'll always start with what I do and the way I behave will determine what other people say I'm good at or not good at, okay? And then by that, you start to determine your truth. You start to determine sort of an identity around who you are because of what other people are saying, because of what you do, right? And then you determine what is real and what's not real. This is a worldview. This is the way the world does it. And sometimes we can do our Christianity like this. We think we need to earn our way to God. So we do things. And in doing things for God, we then get to, uh, uh, is this good or is this bad for God? And we almost, is everybody with me? You can have a focus that's always arrows inward. But that's not what the way Jesus described greatness. He said, the greatest amongst you will be your servants. So the next diagram is actually a focus on where you are God-centered. And when you God-centered, you already know what is real because biblically you have been told what is real, that he's the creator of the universe. You believe that he has the power to achieve all things, that he is not bound by this world, he is not of this world, and therefore he can do anything and have the power. He's the creator of everything. And when you understand that that's the God you serve and he's the center of your life, you will then start to know what is true and not true. When the world says this is the way, you go, no, 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 that's not God's way. That's not the truth. And then when you'll start to know what's true, you'll start to know what's good and what's bad in the world. And you'll start, your filter will be different on your approach when you have a God-centered approach. And then you'll know what to do. When you know whose you are, you'll know who you are. And then you'll know what to do. I think that they didn't just have an authority problem or a worldview problem. I think they had an identity problem. They were seeking that, that growing in this level will give me more of an achievement. It will make me feel better. How many of us keep doing things to try and achieve things? That's a worldview approach. But what God is saying is if you're going to either be God-centered, you need to have a biblical view of who God is and work your way out. Notice that the arrow is not about serving self, being self-centered. It's about serving 
God and others. It's being outward focused. And as a church and as a people of Christ, we're called to be outward focused people. And that's what Jesus is trying to show them. The problem with the world's greatness is that it doesn't last. I just wanna let you know why. Because it's physical. Even in your approach towards your fast this week, I'm gonna ask you, is your fast gonna have a worldview approach? Think about what I'm saying. I'm gonna fast. And when I fast, I will know what is good and not good. And when I fast, I will know what is true and then I will get to God. No, you can't get to God, God came to you. So the focus is you start with God and it needs to have an approach that goes, Christ is at the center. And you start to get rid of the things that you are physically capable and you start to grow in the things that God is spiritually able to move in your life. And so the sad truth about the world's greatness is never will you have enough. Enough is never enough. You, had any of you ever achieved something thinking, maybe if I could just achieve another thing and another thing? The world is always this thing that's like we're chasing the lion. There will always be another accomplishment to attain, more money to make and more trophies to place in your cabinet. But Jesus used one word to tell us what true greatness really is. He said, whoever wants to be great must first be a servant. Matthew 20, verse 26, in the end of it, he says, whoever wants to be great must first be a servant. But I also love the translation, the New Living Translation that goes, whoever wants to be a leader amongst you must be your servant. I wanna encourage you, if you are leading anything, do it from a servant point of view. Do it for the best of everybody else. Don't just do it for the best of your title, your growth, your salary, and what you can get out of it. Do it for what you can bring to it and through it. That is how true leaders lead. That's how Jesus led. If greatness means that we're gonna relinquish our self-centeredness, then the outcome of that is lifting, uh, is not lifting yourself up or your wants or your needs or your desires or your opinions. It's actually just lifting up Jesus in your life. It's lifting up Jesus every single day in our lives. Jesus said, he, he pointed out a, a prophet that was so good at this and it was actually his cousin and it's, G, it's John. And I don't know if you know the story, but what had happened is when Jesus started to become more popular, some of John's disciples started to follow Jesus. And then you know what they did? They went and tittletailed tat. They ran back to John. Like, John, 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 that guy Jesus that you're talking about. Everybody's leaving us. They're following him now. And I love the way that John responds in John chapter three, verse 30. He says, he must increase and I must decrease. That is what God needs to do in our lives, in every single one of our churches, in every single one of our schools and our business. He needs to increase and we need to decrease. It's a focus that when we center our lives on Him, he, we achieve things for Him, for His glory. Worldly greatness is measured by what I can get out of it, but Jesus measures greatness on what we can, not what we can take, but what we can bring. And the second point um, is our love for God and our worship of God are demonstrated, key there, demonstrated in how we love and serve others. Quick story, um, I, I've just been studying uh, the history of the church and just something that stood out for me, in 1917 Russia, the communists took over Russia, right? And what had happened is they didn't make Christianity illegal, but what they did make illegal were the outworks and the good works and the services of the church. So what they did is they said to the church, you can still have the building, you can still have sh services, but what you can't do, what is illegal is you are no longer allowed to feed the hungry, educate the children, take care of the widows and orphans, and care for the sick. 
It took 70 years and the church became ineffective. The church is built to serve, guys. If we take service away from the church and none of us bring and all of us take, it'll take a little bit of time and we'll become ineffective. We'll be world focused and not God focused. God wants us to serve others. 1 John chapter 4 verses 19 to 20 says this. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not yet seen. I want to tell you, if your children can't obey your authority in your home who they can see, how are you ever going to get them to obey God's authority who they can't see? You need to live these lessons and demonstrate them in your homes so that people can see the authority of God in your home. This morning we are looking at demonstration of greatness. The Bible teaches that love is not just a feeling, it's a demonstration. In Romans chapter 5 verses 8, it says, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this way, while we were still sinners, while we were still in the wrong, Christ died for us. That is the best demonstration you can ever have of serving, it's the cross. If you ever wanna know what is the good example to serve, just look at the cross. Because it said that he came to serve and not be served. And he even gave a ransom for your life at the cross. If you ever wanna know the best example of serving, it's the cross. John admonishes us in 1 John chapter 3, verses 18. He says, dear children, let us love with words of speech and not just actions. Oh, sorry, I said that wrong. It says, son of man, uh, sorry, dear children, let us love with words of speech, but with actions and in truth. Let's make sure that what people can see, we don't just say the things, but that we do and we transform in the way that God wants us to run. What is demonstration? Our love in worship is demonstration. And worship is just, it's not something that we, we do once a week here. Worship is something of who we are. It's every day we serve. And Jesus did that. It said the Son of Man came to be served, but to, uh, not, not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom. He demonstrated what it took to actually serve. Um, you know what's so interesting is the Barna Group actually saying that there's only really 10% of the church that's ever really activated. Scary to think. If I think about it, we, we're a church of 4,000 people and this isn't to put anything on anyone, but we had 400 people serving yesterday. 10% of the church will do what it takes to see the lost saved. A Barna Group, scary enough, says that 50% when they asked, do you even want to serve? They said, no thanks. As much as 50%. This is an American stats. It's not a view church that this isn't. Let's blame them. <laughs> okay. But I think the point that I'm trying to make is that all of us have an opportunity to be great because Jesus said greatness is how you serve. And so if you wanna be great, you all have an opportunity to be great. Number three, serving is more about an attitude than it is a skill or an ability. Jesus' message here is that everybody in this room today has the ability to be great. How you be great is way that you serve. That is how we determine greatness. That is how Jesus, service is actually a language of grace. 
Now, in ABM Mind, we've got a budget. We budget to be generous every week. I don't know, uh, but, but uh, sorry, every month. I wish it was every week. Lord Jesus, please grow to every week. Uh, the world of the generous becomes larger and larger. The world of the stingy becomes smaller and smaller. So Lord, I speak that now in Jesus' name every week. But every month we budget to be generous. And so my budget is to fill somebody's tank with petrol. I get to a petrol station and I look around and go, God, today, who needs this petrol? And I fill it. Then I say to the petrol guy, please don't tell them it's me. <laughs> Just tell them God loves them. My wife budgets to pay for somebody's groceries. She does it with the kids and gives them all a budget. But they stand at the till and they say, at any time you feel you want to pay for somebody's groceries, they actually go, Mom, that guy's groceries, can we pay for him? You know, when you're at a till and somebody's trying to scratch out and they've only got a freaking loaf of bread, like some of us are like, can you just hurry up? Actually, my wife goes to him and says, do you need anything else? Because my son wants to buy it for you. That is a language of grace. It's the ability to be generous. Don't wake up and just decide that you, you want to be generous, but never do anything about it. Be intentional in the way that you do that. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each one should use your gifts as he has received to serve others faithfully, administrating God's grace in various forms. That leads to my point four. Serve out of intention, not compulsion. Quick story, I'm busy reading a book on fasting from a guy called Alma Town. So this is not plagiarism. Alma Towns tells a story, but he tells a story about a whole bike rally that gets saved. A Christian guy goes to a bike rally and the whole bike rally gets saved and the gang leader of this bike decides, what is he gonna do now that he's saved? So his first thing he thinks, I've gotta to go to church. So he arrives at church, walks into church with his leather jacket, his tattoos and, um, and, and looking really burly and like, you know, warm leader of the pack. Like, and so he, he walks in, he sits in the second row and as he sits in the second row, um, everybody's kind of like nervous. Who's this guy that's in church? But long story, it gets to the announcements and the pastor actually goes, hey guys, we just want to ask, does anybody want to volunteer to serve in the nursery today? And nobody goes and the pastor puts a bit more enthusiasm. Hey guys, come on, we love our kids and who would really love to serve in the nursery today? Nobody puts up their hands. So the biker says, Lord, you know, I love you and I really want to do anything for you. But if I really have to serve in the nursery, I'll serve in the nursery. But he says, Lord, if he asks again, I'll say yes. And the pastor goes, is there anybody here that would love that? And so he puts his hand up and gives the nod and starts to make his way towards the nursery. And a miracle happens. 50 mothers volunteer immediately to go and serve in the nursery. Come on, guys. We can't be a church that has to be forced in to get our own will. We need to be a church that is willing to go out for God's will and His journey. And so it's so important for us as a church to not decide, uh, to be intentional about the way we decide to serve, not just doing it out of compulsion. And the last one is my ending point is, we need to, if you wanna serve, what I've taken from the scriptures, we need to focus on imitation, not your limitation. Okay, they say that imitation is the best form of flattery for a musician. Like when somebody, when the world's singing your song. It's a form of flattery. They go like, wow, that is really cool. I'm not talking about imitation in Chinatown and all your stuff that breaks. I'm talking about like music and something that adds to the world. They say it's the best thing that can ever happen. 
We are called to be imitators of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are, he said not to be served, but to serve. And if you were ever gonna imitate Jesus, why don't you start focusing on what Jesus did? And it was to serve others. And in closing this scripture from Philippians 2, chapter three, verses three to 11 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. When you see the next person that looks low down, consider them better than you, is what the Scripture is saying. Stop looking at other people with you above other people. Look at yourself as the last so that you get, because that's greatness, to be a servant, to see other people better. Each of you should look not only at your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same of that of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider Himself equal with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He took the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him in the highest and gave him the name above all names, and that name shall be Jesus, and at that name every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess, everyone in heaven, on earth, and in hell. Hell obeys Jesus' command because of his inability to serve, activated his authority in the kingdom of God. In heaven, on earth, and even under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ. One day there will be a day we will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a day. The Bible says it, I believe it. Today that might be your day. But church, we need to be activated to share that love with the world. And if anything that we can do today is to get outside of ourselves. So even as you're driving home today, I want you to start thinking of ways that you can get outside of yourself so that God's glory could be achieved. Could we just close our eyes for a moment? I, just, I don't wanna move on until we've given everyone. You may not have a relationship with Jesus and that is the first step for you. Your, it's the best step for you is a relationship with Jesus activates His promises, His power. It recognizes that what He did, we can never have earned. Receiving Jesus is not about anything that you've done, whether bad or good. It's only about what you, you believe. And when you believe that John 3, 6 is that He's the Son of God, that in, who, in Him, whoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. You start to activate, you start to open a door in your life and Jesus enters your life and life change starts to experience. I can tell you something, there is no relationship you'll ever experience on this earth like Jesus' relationship with you. And if you really want a relationship with Jesus this morning and you haven't, and you're going, I really want to step out for you, God. I wanna give you an opportunity. On the count of three, what we're gonna do is just ask you to pop your hand up very quickly. We're not gonna ask you to do anything else. Pop your hands so that I can pray. One, two, three. Thank you at the back. Anybody else? I see that hand, thank you. Church, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You're our Saviour. I could never have done it without You. I recognise I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by Your grace. Thank You, Jesus. I ask You to come into my heart. Transform me from the inside out, Lord, so that I may do Your will. Thank You, Jesus. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Come on, can we just give everyone that decided a round of applause? While you're all standing, we get, we've come to the end of the service and I just want to remind you that we've got our fast week coming up this week and we're going to be praying over prayer cards every night this week. I invite you to come join us. We're going to have worship evenings from 7 to 8 every evening. But if you need anything you need prayer for, why don't you fill out one of these cards? They're under the seat in front of you and you can actually fill out your prayer and every evening as a church, we're going to pray together because where there's unity, God commands a blessing. And so we're going to do that together this week. I encourage you, come join us. Enjoy your fast. Enjoy your last meal today. Uh, I heard that Lindsay is doing ribs and steak and chops and no, <laughs> chicken wings. Yeah. Guys, look forward to seeing you this week. God bless. Why don't you look to the person and say next to you and just say, I'm so glad you're in church this morning. God bless. Give yourselves a round of applause.